0: The late uh, Ann Landers, anybody remember Ann Landers in the room? Yeah, Ann Landers, yeah. Uh, she was an advice columnist for those who may be slightly young uh, for that. And her column ran a gamut of relationship challenges that people would have. And by far, okay, by far, my favorite column was, um, a column ran on November 18th, 1999. Uh, maybe you've heard it before, but it was a guy who wrote in, and he called himself Hadit in Long Island. Hadit writes this, Dear Anne, my wife and I will soon be celebrating our 30th wedding anniversary, and although we've been quite happy together, I can't bring myself to tell her something that's been bothering me since our honeymoon. Okay, so that's 30 years. Hadit continues, When we unpacked our things in a nice little resort hotel, My wife opened a large suitcase and took out an accordion. Louise never told me she played the accordion or that she took it with her everywhere. I was flabbergasted that night as I sat through recitals of Lady of Spain and an old English madrigal with some surprisingly questionable lyrics. These are the only tunes she knows. Our social life has been rather quiet, you think. Bernice and Murray are our only close friends. They come over quite often and join Louise in a rousing chorus of Lady of Spain. Murray plays his head. That is, he wraps his knuckles on his head while opening and closing his mouth, which produces a tome. Bernice clacks two spoons together and hums the harmony. And I've had all I can take. How can I tell my wife, after so many years, that she's no musician and the racket is driving me crazy? Signed, Hadit, in Long Island. Anne wrote back, "Dear Hadit, please don't blow thirty years of sainthood by losing your temper. Surprise Louise with some accordion lessons and several pieces of sheet music. Sorry, I can't think of a thing to do with Bernice and Murray. I, I love that column because what Anne suggested that Had It do." is to dig in and adjust the way that he's approaching the relationship. Now, I would I would think we would all agree that our relationships uh, can be a source of great joy uh, in our lives, or they can be a source of frustration and pain. Harvard fellow John Perry Barlow once presented a University of Chicago audience, uh, a choice with a challenge. He said, if an angel were to descend into a room like this one today and gave everyone present one minute to decide this question. Would you give up your assets or would you give up your relationships? Would you give up all your assets, your material possessions, or would you give up all your relationships? The result? Well, you know what it was. They all said that they would give up their assets. And when asked why... They said because they can rebuild their assets from their relationships. But the reverse is not true. You cannot build your relationships from your material possessions. And, of course, the bottom line of all our relationships is love. A friend of mine, Joel Johnson, uh, has a saying, if we, meaning the church, can get the love thing right, There's no limit to what God will do in and through us. In the text that that Brian read earlier, we find a a list from St. Paul. Now, when we think of St. Paul, uh, sometimes I think we think about this great adventurous missionary or this great incredible professor-type theologian. Uh, We don't always think of someone who can wax eloquent. About love, but Paul actually did. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13 is probably the most read uh, Bible passage at a wedding. And in this list, he gives some very just concrete, almost in terse, staccato-type fashion, a description of what love should be like and how love should shape the behavior of Christians. And then he gives this nice little reminder that Brian read at the end by saying, by the way, Love is a debt that you'll never pay off. Love is a debt that you will always owe, that you'll, you can never give enough love to where you have to stop loving. No, we always owe the debt to love. And so what I want us to do is I want us to take a look at how love impacts our relationships in the classic three dimensions of discipleship. We talk about these uh, three dimensions a lot in various different contexts. Well, I'd like for us to look at them through the context of how we're to love. So the first dimension is that as God's people, we're called to love in toward the community of faith. In the first section of the text, Paul describes how Christians are to love one another. We are to honor one another, encourage one another, empathize with one another. Did you catch that? Uh, yeah, mourn with those who mourn, uh, have joy with those who who have joy. We're to share possessions. We're to practice hospitality. You know, another way to see this is possessions are sharing what we have. Practicing hospitality is sharing who we are. I mean, we could say this is sharing our possessions and our personhood, if you will. You know, it's interesting. One of the criticisms of the early church was, quote, their founder encourages them to own property together. That was one of the criticisms because the Christians were looking after one another and sharing with one another. Now, notice Paul also says that that love must be sincere and that we're to hate what is evil and to cling to what is good. So, in other words, for our love for one another to be sincere and authentic and real, it must also be discerning. In other words, we must be willing to warn or challenge a brother or sister, when they're engaging in harmful and sinful behavior. We're responsible for one another in the church. Indeed, we are each other's brother or sister's keeper. The love Christians should have for one another moves beyond what David gets. The author of the book Death by Suburbs calls a transactional friendship. Now, what is a a transactional friendship? A transactional friendship is one in which you're in a relationship with someone for what they can do for you. Now, you may not come right out and say, this is a transactional relationship for me. I'm a friend with you because you let me borrow your lawnmower or leaf blower uh, on the weekend or you give me a ride to the metro so that I can get to work quicker. You may not come right out and say that, but it may be more subtle, and it may be something like, well, I'm your friend because you're funny, and I like to laugh, or I'm your friend because you are liked by a lot of people, and if I'm in your orbit, then I might be liked by a lot of people. Transactional. I like you for what you can do for me is the theme song of a transactional relationship. But this text calls us to a deeper love than this. Tim Keller preached an incredible message once based on C.S. Lewis's book, The Four Loves, as the basis of this idea. And in Lewis's book, The Four Loves, he talks about how the, there are four Greek words that translate the word that we use for love. You know, in our language, we will say, "You know, I love." my mother and my father. I love my spouse. I love my children. I love them with the depth of my heart. And then we'll also say, I just love chocolate ice cream. You know, we use the same word for all those different uh, nuances. But in Greek, there are four different ones. For, so, for example, in Greek, there's agape, which means unconditional or unconditional, willful, intentional love. This is the love that that uh, was, is referred to in John 3.16 or Romans 5.8. This is the love when Jesus said, love your enemy. Jesus says, agape your enemy. Willfully choose to love your enemy. There's eros, which means romantic love. There's phileo, which means brotherly love or friendship. And then there's this interesting type of love called storge, which was typically used to describe familial, family love, associated with the tenderness of a parent to a child, and a child to a parent. Here's what's so cool. In verses 9 and 10, Paul uses three of the four. Love, agape, must be sincere. Be devoted, storge, in brotherly phileo love. Put this together. Paul is saying that we in the church should love each other like we love our families. Lewis says that there's a certain glory to storge, love. We talk a lot in the church about agape love, but he says there's a certain glory to storge love. It is not chosen as we choose agape love to willfully choose someone. It is not romantic, of course, and it is not transactional like in friendship. It is this love that's forged in the context of family. It is not chosen. Think about how some of you in your family, and how you love your family members. Just imagine that for a moment. Often our family members bring a sense of warmth and joy. We light up when we see them, and there's this incredibly deep bond that, just, that, that you could go uh, without seeing family for, for months and, 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 and a long time, and then as soon as you see them, there's this deep bond. And then there are those times when you sit across the proverbial Thanksgiving table and you wonder how in the world could you share DNA with that person. They're so different. But like how in the world could you be related to that person? I know that I have gotten on some of my family members' last nerve is a, is a phrase we, we use down south. And I think I've provided them a measure of joy from time to time. And same goes the other way. But either way, and at all times, I have never, ever, ever doubted their deep and abiding love. That's how it is in the life of the church. That's what Paul is trying to say about this storge type of love. We are a diverse group of people, and we come from many different places and experiences. There are those times when you think, you know, if it weren't for my relationship through the church, my life may never cross paths with that person. What we have in common here at OTCC, for example, we have the Lord in common, and we have this confession that we believe the Spirit of God has drawn us into this family of faith. And that's what matters more than anything is that we have the Lord in common and that we believe that God has drawn us into this family of faith. That matters far more than anything else you can hold in common that may make you a good friend to someone. One scholar said, and I love this, in the Christian community, we get beyond auditioning one another and we just love. We get beyond auditioning one another you ever felt like you were auditioning for somebody? You know, if, hey, if I, if I act just right, I might make the cut, you know, and be in their circle of friends. I thank God we get to love people and be on mission with people without using our narrow-minded criteria for choosing them. So the Christian loves in toward the community of faith. The Christian also loves out on mission toward the world. Again, this is not neatly organized into these three directions. Excuse me. And it seems that, that Paul taggles, toggles back and forth between how we are to love fellow believers in the church and how we're to love those in the world. He says even to love those who are hostile to you and to don't take revenge. You know, how many times... Have you said, you know, I really want to get revenge? Now, I don't think if somebody cuts you off in traffic, I don't hope not anyway, anyway, that you're going to speed up so that you can cut them off. I mean, you know, one avoided accident's enough you don't want to try, two. But have you ever wanted to write a zinger of a response on Facebook just to get revenge? Have you ever wanted just to snap back at someone just to get revenge? Paul says, live at peace with others. Look out for the welfare of your enemies. And I can't help but think that when Paul wrote this, and when Paul wrote these words, that the Lord just flashed through his mind all those Christians who took him in after his conversion, who took him in and tended to him and nurtured him in the faith, even though he once persecuted Christians. I can't help but think that the Lord gave him those images, which is why he could write with such conviction and passion. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Just as God loves the world, we are to love those outside of the faith. Gentle question. How do you view those outside the faith? Do you view them as hostile? And as people to be avoided, do you view them with apathy? Do you see them through the eyes of God who loves them deeply? New Testament scholar Ajith Fernando, who wrote this just wonderful commentary on the book of Acts. Uh, if, you ever, if you ever want to read a study on the book of Acts, it's, it's terrific. But he's, he wrote about his church in the 60s. And Ajith said his church in the 60s was uh, in a university setting and that his church was sort of a traditional church, sort of stoic and staid, but they had a heart for reaching the students at the university. Now, I don't know if any of you in the room are old enough to remember the 60s, but in the 60s and on universities, especially major college campuses, um, there was a, quite a student movement during the Vietnam War. And so there's this classic image of, of you know, what they call the hippie, you know, the long hair and the, everything else and the, and the beads and all this kind of stuff. Well, Fernando said that, that his, his church started praying, Lord, help us to reach students. And lo and behold, a few students started coming. They started coming to this very traditional church right near the college campus. And Fernando said that, that one day, that uh, as the preacher was preaching, a student, and a student, as he described, you know, dressed in all the ways that you expect a student to on a college campus, came down uh, and sat right in front of the preacher. So for those of you in the room, maybe be right on this this first rug right here, sat right in front of the preacher, crossed his legs, and just listened to the sermon. Just sat right there. And everybody else is in pews and, you know, everything is all neat and tidy and everything. And then all of a sudden, he said, this elder, this elder started coming up toward the student. And you can imagine how the elder was dressed, right? Suit, tie, probably really shined up, wingtips, you know. And and everybody was wondering, what in the world is this elder going to do? And he went up, and he sat down on the floor right beside the student and listened to the rest of the sermon right there with the student. Now, Fernando doesn't know if the student was a Christian or not because how you dress and all that doesn't doesn't make you a Christian or not. But what he was saying was that this man cared so much that this student did hear the gospel, that he did hear the word of God, that he was going to make him feel at home and join him right there. As God's people, we're called to love those outside the faith just in the same way that God loved us before we came to faith. We received the love of God drawing us into faith, and therefore we should do the same with those who are outside the faith. We should be willing to sacrifice norms, sacrifice traditions, sacrifice comfort zones, sacrifice resources, so that those who don't know Jesus can come to know his love. That's a mission-shaped heart as we live out towards those who don't know Christ and so we live in toward the Christian community we live out toward those who don't know Christ and then lastly the last direction of love is up toward God you know it's interesting when you read through the Bible one of the subplots in the Bible is the failure of the family you know, Pam's here Pam's a a counselor and Pam could probably rattle off all sorts of stories uh, that she 's heard about the family, but when you read through the Bible it 's hard to find a solid, good example of loving family relationships i mean there 's a few, but Cain murders Abel, Jacob tricks Esau joseph's brother sell him into slavery david's brothers scold him for his bravery Absalom david's son, a spoiled royal rebelled against his father, and raised up an army against David. Pam, how would you like to get that in a counseling session? Hey, you know, my son raised up an army against me. You know, it's, it's time to have, let's have another session or something. In the New Testament, Jesus' mothers and brothers were frustrated with him, and Jesus looked at a crowd and said, who are my mothers and brothers anyway? <laughs> Except those who do the will of God. The story of the prodigal son, which Jesus told, it's a story of a young man who basically wished his father dead and wanted all his father's goods and an older brother who hated the younger brother and jealous of him. It's a really interesting picture of families in the Bible. Tim Keller says, bloodlines fail you in the Bible. That's interesting. Bloodlines fail you in the Bible. Blood brothers and sisters hurt you in the Bible and they don't always love you. They're incapable of loving like Paul says we should, at least the ones in the Bible, right? But there's another brother, Christ our brother, who died and spilled his blood out of perfect love for you and for me. Perfect love, complete, without regard for himself, innocent blood so that we might be saved. And the beauty of the gospel is, when we take this love into the very center of our being, when this love from God touches our hearts, it floods our heart in such a way that it gives us the ability to love like Jesus loved. It gives us the ability to love in to the Christian community in such a sacrificial way. It gives us the ability to love out toward the world with this incredible agape love that chooses even to love those who are against us. And it gives us the ability to love God and to prioritize God and to love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. It flows from heaven and changes the way and our capacity for love. How are your relationships today? How about within the church? Are you loving those who you may not have anything in common with except Jesus and his church? Or are you, are you auditioning others and only connecting with people just like you? Are you willing to open your heart to your brother and sister in Christ and give to them as they have need? Yes, physical need, but also prayer, understanding, encouragement, and challenge. How about those outside the church? Are you moving toward others who don't know Christ or away from them? Are you loving those who oppose you and the faith? How about Jesus? Have you received his sacrificial love? He offers it freely to you this morning as we come to his table.